Pride in Protest would like to acknowledge the land on which we recorded this podcast, the Wurundjeri people and the Darug people. First Nations people on this continent continue to experience the ongoing violent impacts of racism, colonialism and land dispossession that is deeply connected to incarceration and policing. The similarities in the incarceration of refugees in detention and the immigration system has its roots in the policing of First Nations people and the ideology of Australia as a white settler colony. As with all our work, we aim to extend solidarity to First Nations people and recognise the work of Elders past, present and emerging in fighting for sovereignty and equality for all from these oppressive carceral systems. Welcome to Pride in Protest, the podcast. In this episode of Pride in Protest, the podcast, we chat to Madura, a queer Sri Lankan Tamil, about the context of the Tamil community in Australia, queer identity as a person of colour, and the influence of TikTok on young people interested in social justice. Hi, Madura, how are you? Hello, I'm great. How are you? Ah. Oh. I'm, I'm getting out of the Melbourne lockdown, so I'm really excited about that. Thank you so much for joining us on Pride in Protest, the podcast. Of course. I'm a big fan. This is very exciting. <laughs> and, and a member of Mardi Gras and a member of The Collector. So, you know, thanks yes. for joining yes. in the fight. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to bring you on here today to just talk about, I guess, your experience and your community, um, you know, as a Sri Lankan Tamil. So your family are from Sri Lanka. uh, And I just wanted to know, like, what is the experience you think that most Tamils have who've migrated to Australia from Sri Lanka? Like, can you give us just the context of, you know, their relationship to the refugee community and like moving here and stuff like that? Yeah, so it varies depending on the person, but generally, obviously, the reason why um, Tamil people come to Australia is because of the civil war that happened in Sri Lanka, um, including the genocide of a lot of Tamil people, which, you know, a lot of texts don't call it a genocide, but I think um, the cultural cleansing that did occur, um, a lot of other people, including people in the Tamil community, um, it, we refer it to, we talk to it as that. Because of that, I think uh, the Tamil people continue to be um, a minority that is marginalised in Sri Lanka. I think there is, there is like, you know, there are some people who are kind of elites that are doing okay, but otherwise um, that's the reason why obviously they come to Australia, either as refugees or um you know economic migrants whatever they can do whatever works within the system and yeah and so we've built a kind of Tamil community within Australia now um and yeah that's pretty much that's like the context of it I think like say continuing now um the current government in Sri Lanka is like the three most powerful men are all brothers who are Sinhalese and rose up on like very nationalist, um, pro-majority uh, rhetoric, like very much like um, there's that Sinhala um, group now in Sri Lanka. So I think if you're a Tamil person that doesn't have, you know, social connections that tie you to Sri Lanka deeply, you're, a lot of people decide it's better to 
get out of there. Especially, of course, if you were part of, you know, the heirloom Tamil uh, people. Yeah, so I might just clarify a few of those terms for our listeners. Um, so Sinhala people are the majority um, ethnic group in yes. Sri Lanka. And they kind of, like, control most of the institutions. There's a lot of, like, uh, advantages. And, yeah, they won the war. So so that's why the oppression is still very, very prevalent um, because they did commit acts of genocide and then they did win and they have, you know, memorials to their soldiers all over the country. And, yeah, and then Elong Tamil, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, Elong is... Uh... Elong, okay. Elong Tamil people are Muslim by faith. Yeah. Um, and so they're also discriminated against... Um, and there's obviously, I guess, like a religious uh, divide between Sri Lankan Tamils who are Hindu and um, Elong Tamils who are Muslim. And so there's even more complexities within that. Sure. Especially, yeah, recently after um, there was the Easter bombings last year, they used that as a platform to really um, add extra... Uh, like police repression and surveillance and, and police laws. Yeah, like policing Yeah, powers. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like, yeah, um, Muslim people who are in Sri Lanka, you know, they, they like my aunt's neighbor, they just like barged into her house unannounced and um, searched their home for absolutely no reason other than the fact that they were Muslim. Um, and yeah, they use it as a springboard for a lot more oppression. And it's very disappointing yeah it's bad (laughs) um so i you know i'm curious what's your family's migration story like are you refugees did you did you manage to move on other kinds of visas are you australian residents and and citizens now yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so my family didn't come as refugees um my dad got I can't remember but yeah my dad um got a job in Australia and then he and my mom and myself as a one-year-old moved because yeah they didn't want to stay in Sri Lanka and so yeah we came here and we became citizens in 2015 I think so So pretty recently actually yeah yeah (laughs) it was yeah it's been five years but um it was, you know, it was a struggle for them, of course, um, not knowing people and being very young at the time. My mom was like 24, I think. Um, and so. So for context, you know. that's younger than I am now. Um. <laughs> Which is young still. <laughs> still so young. Um, but yeah. And so. um that was, you know, they had a lot of issues there. I think Australia, a little bit better now, but back then my parents had, like, there was an incident um, where the two of them went to Aldi and um, in the parking lot uh, someone was, like, started, yeah, saying, like, slurs and all sorts of things to my mom. And um, my dad almost got into a fight, which is hilarious because my dad is like five foot one and very skinny and would not have come out well if that ended up um, being, you know, a very rough fight. 
but um, which we laugh about now. But yeah, they didn't go to Aldi for a long time after that. Like any Aldi brand, they were like, <laughs> it was weird. But because then we were like, and then I think once when I um, there was like this certain product from Aldi that we wanted, and they were like, okay, we're gonna go to Aldi, and now we do go to Aldi. So we've overcome that barrier. But for a long time, we didn't, and it was because of that ridiculous story but yeah yeah I mean I have you know my family also has like a migration story um Mm. and my mum's citizenship was actually uh declined like twice so she was married to my dad who was an Australian citizen and she had two children under three who were Mm. Australian citizens and they just kept rejecting her application like over and over Um, and it got to the point where like she was going to be deported and my parents were talking about all of us moving back to Indonesia um, because because we had to keep the family together and then there was a minister at the time called Philip Ruddock and he was actually a liberal which is shocking but he (laughs) was yeah but he was a Christian and so he there was a conspiracy not sure if it's ever been proved but there was a conspiracy that he was letting in like thousands and thousands of Christians on the basis of like giving them ministerial pardons to their rejected citizenship applications and my mum got one from him in the late 90s whoa well she she did have a letter from her pastor in her application so it's very very possible that there was like a religious sectarian privilege going on there you know similar to when the Syrian refugee crisis happened and they approved like 12,000 Christian Syrians to come to Australia so it's yeah it's it can be really difficult in terms of actually getting your citizenship and you know the hoops that you have to jump through absolutely and it like obviously we know it's so um rooted in these like you know like the neoliberal ideas of kind of like consumption right like you're you're like immigrants and like especially refugees they're just like their bodies where it's like if you can um you know uh, add extra to the society if you can further uh, economic growth or whatever it is if you can form labor that's where you are that's that's when you are allowed to come in you know like that's like that's the story in which my parents came came and that's where like people who are now trying to the point system and everything it's so rooted in that and which is it's just so I don't know that I feel like that's messed up (laughs) personally (laughs) it's so messed up and I mean yeah you talk about labor and that's actually I missed the most important part of my story which is that my mom has a disability and they knew that on her paperwork that she has a chronic illness and that she might not be a suitable worker or like a long-term part of the labor force and that she might need a lot of health care later down the track. And that's why her citizenship was getting rejected. So you're exactly right. Like it's definitely just this like churning through labor, churning through cheap labor, people who will, you know, do anything to get out because their lives are at risk and then they are so easily exploitable by the Australian labor system and yeah yeah. exactly and yeah and then people who come here and you know for so long like the I think especially within the Tamil community I think a lot of people um if I don't know politicians were to examine the voter base for whatever reason it's very 
um, conservative and sometimes anti-immigrant because it's this idea of um, we barely made it through, other people can't get through um, and steal, you know, the little space that we've made for ourselves and it's like, uh, yeah, it is a competition for resources. It's like I've got my slice of the pie and you can't have any of it, you know, like it's it's this very much like a scarcity mindset, um, which is absolutely encouraged in the way that Australia like deals with refugees, asylum seekers, uh, migrants of any kind. It's, it's this scarcity mindset. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did want to, you know, touch on how you identify in terms of your sexual identity, like, you know, you're openly quite um, queer and sort of like, (laughs) you know, like that's quite a big thing in, in migrant communities. So yeah, I just wanted to talk about that with you. Yeah. um, Yeah. So I, I guess I identify as queer um, or I'm just like, I'm very gay. I think I say that a lot, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a struggle. Like a lot of people don't know because it's not, it's still like not acceptable. I think um, it's very easy for people to say it's, things are different now um, because, you know, it's same-sex marriage is legal, uh, is legal in Australia and everything. But um, within the community, you have to remember that like in Sri Lanka, it's still illegal. Like homosexuality is still like within the penal code. Um, and that's not necessarily enforced, um, until it is and until police are, um, you know, like abusing people who are queer, um, for whatever reason. And yeah, it's, I think I've said it before, like the Tamil community can be a little bit conservative and it's this, it's that model minority ideal of like not wanting to rock the boat, right? Like we need to present ourselves in the best way possible. And if we have queers jumping out, <laughs> jumping out of the boat saying, look at me, like that's, that's messing stuff up. But yeah, I think, um, like, it's not, it's not easy. Um, a lot of my up- upbringing, um, is like, it's this idea of duty. Right. And so then like, I'm very much going against my duty to my parents by being, very queer but um and saying like you know I don't want to follow in the footsteps that I'm supposed to follow and get married and um do the thing (laughs) but uh you know I think I'm this year I've been like a lot more open about my sexuality and like young and the Tamil people have you know messaged me and been like wow I've never seen someone who was um, a brown person like even just like putting a rainbow flag in their bio it sounds so dumb that people are like that is like risky shit um that's really impressive because yeah like I think if the broader community knew about me and they probably will soon um it, it would reflect badly on my parents and that's um something I think about a lot um and yeah it's a bit difficult sometimes but you know yeah it is that transferable homophobia it's almost like you know it doesn't in in migrant communities the homophobia doesn't stay with the individual because it's a collectivist 
culture. It's a collectivist community. And so that has positives, but it also has really big negatives. Like you're Mm. saying, you know, you being queer makes your parents look like bad people or whatever. Yeah, Um, exactly. They messed up. Like, why you don't want to marry a dude? What'd you guys do? Yeah, it's it's really difficult. Um, And I mean, to focus specifically, I guess, on like LGBT asylum seekers, um, who are like, you know, applying to come to Australia on the basis of either, you know, being persecuted for being queer because, you know, as you said, it is criminalized. Um, and so, you know, they have to prove their identity in order to claim asylum. So like bisexual people have been told like, oh, you, you, you're not, valid to be an asylum seeker on the basis of your sexuality because you could just have a relationship with the opposite gender and hide the fact that you're bi Um, even like yeah even like people who aren't bi but they're like if you're okay with hiding your sexuality like if you aren't like I don't know for like maybe a lesbian if you don't look really butch um how do we know like you have to prove that you're you know part of the queer scene you have to really like you have to go up to a stranger and really um in detail talk about your sexual experiences in such an invasive way it's that whole thing of like commodifying bodies all over again it's like queer people who are seeking asylum like uh, the things they have to go through in order just to prove that you know, they deserve safety in order um, so they can be who they are. It is oh, it's so troubling. Yeah. And I mean, I've even heard of cases where like gay men have their applications rejected because they have a close friend who is a woman. And like oh that's assumed to be romantic or, um, you know, just even the very, I guess, like root of it is that people are still deported. They are still detained. Um, by the Australian government, you know, in countries or deported to countries in which being LGBT in any way is criminalised and it puts them in extreme amounts of danger and even they do die in these contexts, like, when they're deported. So, yeah, I guess, like, do you have any, I don't know, feelings on the intersection between queer identity and, like, you know, your community and, and that, like, refugee experience as well? Yeah, I think it's, like, I think if I was still in Sri Lanka, I prob- I would not feel very safe within my community. And there are absolutely, like, incredible um, and open queer people in Sri Lanka and queer Tamil people as well. Um, but, like, they are, you know, it, it's still, like, risky stuff. Like, there are still reports of, like, police violence against queer people, especially, and trans people as well, especially trans people, actually. And, um, and you know, things like me playing with gender and, like, you know, being a little bit fluid, like, it, it, it just wouldn't be possible in Sri Lanka. And, honestly, it's not super possible now, like... Um, my parents are not, like, very comfortable with it. And I think um, the broader community, like, whenever I do um, go to, like, community events or family events, I am very hyper-feminine or, like, making sure to wear a skirt or a dress and things like that because, uh, you know, it's it's safer. It's 
and it's yeah but in terms of refugees that's um i think the fact that you know sexual experiences and emo- and like emotional experiences but also the violence a lot of the time um i think i've heard that like asylum and um, people seeking asylum under the um under their sexual identity have to like also recount times where they've been discriminated against and that's like extremely traumatic um and yeah that idea of i don't know like your identity being this um being this thing that causes you so much pain and so much joy all in the same time but then you know having to exploit that pain in order just to find safety for yourself that's something that's something that's so difficult for a person and especially um yeah someone seeking asylum yeah yeah so i'm going to do a hard pivot now um uh, we've talked about really in depth like very you know difficult things but i'm going to throw you a curveball so you're pretty big on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> big but yes I do <laughs> yeah proving on TikTok tell me about how you find TikTok as a space as a queer person of color yeah oh god I think it's it's a it's a two-way street because I think TikTok has actually been so incredible for me to be able to find queer community I mean we met over TikTok as well <laughs> <laughs> remember when we dm'd each other on tiktok and like figured out that we live in the same city have mutual friends and are now on a podcast together so there you go yeah exactly yeah and stuff like this like i do um i do drag now and that is also because of tiktok because of people i met through there so it's 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 been pretty it's honestly one of the best decisions I've made um but yeah I think it is you know um again it's a two-way street because it's it's so incredible and it's been both like even just personally my personal uh journey with like gender and sexuality has been like really um you know it's been helped by TikTok but also yeah finding people and just especially during the pandemic, like finding this kind of safe space um, has been so incredible and seeing like all the amazing queer and trans people um, and especially, yeah, people of color. Like I didn't realize that there were so many other South Asian queer people out there and like people, yeah, have reached out to me through TikTok. Like um, I've been like, oh my God, I'm Sri Lankan too. I'm like... (laughs) pissing myself because it is very difficult but it's so amazing seeing you um but you know it it is difficult as well I think like when um you know when I do get harassment over TikTok it's it's all generally about race like I do talk about um race and stuff a lot um and it's also um and it's not even just like you know freaking Trump supporters or something like that like you do get those anon trolls for sure but it's even just like sometimes I do like to talk about people of color within the queer community um and you know representation in real life and um you know even on TikTok like 
the way we relate to people and a lot of white queers don't love that and I think it's getting a bit better because we're talking a lot about anti-racism this year um but sometimes I'll be like this is my personal experience as a person of color um within the queer community in Sydney and someone will be like I am white and I did not notice that (laughs) and I'm just like well (laughs) well (laughs) I don't know what to tell you (laughs) other than that's it's just what happened to me um and so that's been you know interesting but I think a lot of people have also said like it helps it helps people learn and I think the more you know dialogue we have about various things it's important. I like I know TikTok is turning into this kind of discourse chaos as well, which isn't great. Sometimes we um focus on certain things within the community and forget like the major themes of transphobia and racism and ableism and things like that that are actually still defining pillars of the community. But um, we're getting there and it's, it's, it's a really cool space. Nice. Um, I also wanted to ask, like, what kind of content that you make do you feel goes the most viral and, like, why? I, I think about this a lot because, you know, when you're an influencer, you have to have your pulse. I'm just – I'm kidding. I literally just uh, – I just make whatever comes into my head. But um, I think a lot of, like – the cont it's either um content that is very gay <laughs> sometimes like I've made content you know about like sex education and things like that um that do really well and I think that's because um you know TikTok has a like a young base of people who don't have sex education accessible to them um but queer sex education accessible to them um, or trans-inclusive sex education accessible to them, and so that's why that does well. Um, but also, when I do, sometimes, like, I will just, like, have, like, a little bit of a rant, and that kind of does well as well, because I think people do respond to, you know, experiences that they're unfamiliar with and wanting to learn more and things like that. Um, so some of my, yeah, more political stuff does do better sometimes just because, um, a people, a lot of people are interested in activism and things like that now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was honestly shocked, but also I thought it was the best thing ever when like all these 14 year olds and 12 year olds started like creating Black Lives Matter rallies like on Facebook and they were radicalized off TikTok and they exactly like it gives me so much hope for the future like as a boomer 26 year old you know I just think like is TikTok the next platform for like social justice and change making like what do you reckon like I I don't know if it's it's the next platform for to be able to create like change but I think it's it's really been it's it's in educating people a lot I think so many people get on TikTok and be like I used to be a Trump supporter and then I got TikTok and I'm just like what the actual heck like how does that happen but yeah no within like young queer people and yeah people interested in social justice 
it's because and the way the algorithm works is once you start um interacting with a certain type of content you keep getting that kind of content so people who are like you know like I think um the first nations community on tiktok does like have a really great space as well and I think like yeah people of color um like even the very niche group of like south asian queers does have like a space on tiktok um and as much as you know we talk about the algorithm can be a little bit uh bad sometimes and can censor certain um more controversial things like um it also does you know at the end of the day so many people are seeing this content like yeah the black lives matter stuff and like so much like (laughs) anti-capitalist rhetoric and like like you'll see like um someone I follow they're like this 17 year old communist who um, just talks about, yeah, like theory and all sorts of things. And they have like hundreds and thousands of followers. And it, it is fellow teenagers who are just so disenfranchised within the system, um, but also are like seeing experiences of other people and sections of society that they don't usually, like, you know, suburban kids don't generally see what it's like to, live um in a situation where you're um having like economic difficulty but then people are like getting on tiktok and like being really real and raw about their experiences and but yeah it's it's wild but um it's yeah it's amazing it's it's so interesting it's great to be a part of it awesome well i mean thanks so much for coming on the show um is there like anywhere that people can find you follow more of your work and content um yeah like drop your ads you know yeah (laughs) drop my ads well um if you do want to see what I do on TikTok it's at messy underscore qwoc queer women of color uh that stands for queer women of color that's what I was saying (laughs) and um on Instagram I'm at Madura SP, so M A D H U R A A S P. And I think I have a link tree up there to anything else. Thanks for the chat today. It's been so good, like getting this insight, um, you know, into like different communities that make up part of the queer community. And I think that's something that Pride in Protest really values is like that intersectionality. And I guess, you know, making sure that we have solidarity with all of these different communities. Um, So, you know, Priya and Nadez are still, you know, in detention on Christmas Island and they are a Tamil um, Sri Lankan family that, you know, their two daughters have grown up in detention and there is still so many um, Tamil refugees and Tamil asylum seekers that are struggling right now. And so to have that solidarity with them and to know the story of the community and, and know what's happening is really, really important. So yeah, thanks for coming on and just sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pride in Protest, the podcast. If you would like to stay in touch with the activist work Pride and Protest do, you can follow us on Instagram at pride.in.protest, newly on Twitter at Pride in Protest, or at facebook.com slash Pride in Protest.